0: Behind home plate, we bringing it to him all day. Mm-hmm. You know what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Birdland. When the lose, we bringing it to you always. Mm-hmm. You know what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Orange or black, we rebuild the pack. No matter where we at, you know we coming back. Section 336, we on this, so tune in. You know what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Birdland. You know what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Birdland. Now. Here come the
1: boys from Section 336. All right, it's Section 336. Uh, as you can tell, since Matt did not do the intro, and I'm just jumping straight into it without a long, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Matt's not here today, which is also why we skipped last week. But I wanted to do—I wanted to have a show this week. Uh, honestly, Matt just bailed last minute last week because. <laughs> He's not good at keeping track of dates and times, and he had like his—he uh, had a big paper due, which we'll get to in a minute. Maybe Ryan. Ryan, what's the, what's the, what's the paper when you were trying to get your master's that you got to submit?
0: A thesis. You're like,
1: thesis or final presentation or something. Yeah, something like that. Whatever. It's due this week for Matt, and, oh, he, pan- and he panicked and he realized last Monday. So filling in for Matt today is Ryan Blake, who's been on the show many times from Utah Street Report and from the Give That Fan A podcast, which we'll talk about in a moment. And Ryan, I think you've been a friend of Section 336 since you were in high school or something.
0: It's been you a long what? time. It, it might have been that long. It's uh, you know I think you guys were the first... Um podcast. I came on as a guest. I I know I did a couple of the live shows at Buffalo Wild Wings back in the day, right around the time I was famous for eating crayons. So it's, uh, we we go back a ways. Yeah. I know you were down in Sarasota with us. That's right. uh, Before you could drink. So I know it was a long time ago. Yeah. We went down and and Trip Norton, we talked to and uh, we did. That was my first taste of what it feels like to almost be in the media. It was pretty cool.
1: There was yeah. That's when the that's when the Orioles were nice to Section three thirty six <laughs> and gave us some interviews. Yeah. Uh, this year they just did not respond to any emails or phone calls. Oh, that's so it's a little different. So Ryan, tell me about give that fan a podcast. I love the name. It seems Thank you. Uh, it seems uh, it seems like an, almost an obvious name for a Baltimore uh, Orioles talk. But there's been lots of podcasts that have came and gone talking Orioles over the many years of 336 and that's a very original but also like obvious name that you're an orioles podcast
0: yeah i'm surprised no one else has thought of it before to be honest um it was recommended to me by a couple of uh i did a little crowdsourcing on twitter and, and uh, a couple people actually suggested this so i have to go back and find out who they are so i can give them a little shout out but uh yeah derek over at utah street report shot me an email a few weeks back and uh Basically asked me if, if I'd be interested in, in taking over for Paul Valley, who moved on from, he, he did a podcast with Utah Sheet Report, and now he's overworking for PressBox. So they had an opening in that uh, in that content. So they said they thought I'd be good for it, and uh, they said I'd have creative reign to figure out a name and a logo and, and guests and co-hosts and whatever I wanted to do. So I figured it's I've been out of the game for a little bit, but I'm, I'm happy to be back, and and I, I appreciate the opportunities that you and uh, and the guys over at Bird's Eye View have given me to, to come on and voice myself a little bit here and there over the years. And I finally have my own voice, and it's exciting.
1: Yeah, and I, you've got three episodes out right now. Um, and, I mean, they're all great. Um, there's a, I've, I've advised on many uh, Baltimore sports podcasts over the last seven or eight years while doing three thirty six. And the one piece of advice I always give podcasters is to make sure to spend a little bit of time talking about yourself so people know you and understand you. And you jumped into it on your second episode <laughs> with not a five-minute, hey, here's who I am, here's why you should care about me, but 45 minutes, here's my life story and baseball.
0: Yeah, I left out no details. I just I felt like... Um you know, I, before I really started diving into the real interviews, I wanted to give the listeners an opportunity to get to know who I am and what my relationship is with baseball and what my relationship is with the Orioles. So I really started from uh, when I was eight months old, my dad took video of me watching Cal Ripken uh, walk around Camden Yards after breaking Gehrig's record. And I just kind of went from there and, and left out no details.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no details. I don't know if I believe that eight-month eight story. But uh, I'll give it to you. Well,
0: I said in the podcast, I have yet to see that video. So uh, until until he can provide that for me, I, I'm a little skeptical myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just like yeah. There's video. Uh, there would be video of me um, crying in front of the TV as the Mayflower truck pulled away with the Colts. <laughs> but I don't think video cam video cameras were around much then. Yeah. But I. But I'm just saying. Like that's the thing. That's the. The age I was when the Colts left is the age you were about, I believe, when the uh, when Cal made that lap. So I think it matters about the same amount.
0: Something like that, yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, I, I kind of just went and wanted to give the listeners a chance to know me. So talked no. about the Orioles, talked about baseball, the TARP Crew days, the Bat Boy days with Bowie, and everything in between.
1: Yeah, no, and that's great. And as a guy that already knows you pretty well and knows your relationship with the Orioles, it was nice – to see you lay that out, uh, because that that helps the listener a lot as you're building a podcast. I believe that 336 listeners know Matt and I and Bert when he was around mm-hmm. uh, pretty well because we get into personal stuff like that and all because then you can relate to the person a lot better. So right. I was and excited to see that episode.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. And and you can get you can get Orioles and baseball talk anywhere really, but it's it's nice to be able to relate to a podcast when you know that you know, the host has shared some similar stories to you, or, you know, they're willing to get into their personal life a little bit, and it just, it makes it more inviting, I think.
1: It also, yeah, it also made me feel old, once again, (laughs) that you were talking about how you were too young to remember any of the time the Orioles were good in the 90s, and, like, that was my high school years, that was, like, my highlights of the Orioles, (laughs) and, like, yeah, like Bert and I would always go back and talk about that 89 season when we were nine years old because that's when you fall in love with baseball. And all this happened uh, before you were born. So it made me feel nice and old.
0: Yeah, I, I did the same. I had Olivia Withright from – who used to work for Masson on my most recent episode. And I, I made her feel old a couple of times. I told her that she spent eight years at Masson and I, I kept acting like that was a really long time and made her feel old. She said, just a reminder, I'm in my 20s. So it's not, it's not that bad. Right. But eight years is a long time. It is. Anywhere. But they were eight good years for her. Right.
1: All right. So I wanted to have you on here and kind of film for Matt and also kind of like look at this Oriole season now that we can step away. The World Series is over. Um, The Dodgers won, as I think everyone predicted. No surprise there. They're the Yankees of the West Coast of the National League. Um, Let's start with – before we dig in really into some Oriole stuff, let's start real general – with the statement the commissioner made after the World Series, he said that the concept of a neutral site World Series is at least worthy of further discussion. So <laughs> let's yeah. discuss it. What do you think? The, the NFL does it. The NFL does a neutral site. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure the reason the NFL does a neutral site is financials. Right. It's so they can book up that city – for the week, that they can sell all the boxes that it's in nice weather stadium, uh, how do you feel about every year the World Series being in Texas or Miami, or how do you feel about this
0: you know on on the surface, I feel like I'm more of a, a traditionalist when it comes to baseball, and you know I'm, I'm conservative in some ways and liberal in others when it comes to changing the game, but i don't I mean the NFL seems to do all right with it. Baseball, for me, it, it seems like the kind of thing where with it being seven games, an opportunity to play in front of the home crowd at both stadiums is cool. However, you do run into problems here and there where the weather, you know, you're getting into October and even November, and the weather's going to get a little cold and nasty, and it can change the way some teams play ball. So it's it's a little concerning in that regard, but as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, it worked out okay for Major League Baseball this year under the extenuating circumstances, but... I think I'd prefer they keep it as it has been in years past. Right. If, if he wants to go down this path, and I'm right there with you, there's a big difference between the
1: NFL and Major League Baseball is that it's seven games. Right. Um, if, if, if he wants to make that type of statement, then I think he should also come out and say, playing without fans should be, should be discussed for future. <laughs> it's the same. This year was weird. Like That's not something you want. Like yeah. The magic of having the World Series in your stadium, we got to see a little bit of that just playoff baseball in Camden Yards. And could mm-hmm. you imagine if the Orioles finally made it to the uh, World Series and it was being played in Tropicana Field oh, just I'd, because?
0: I'd hate it. I mean, you already it, have the All-Star game at a, at a neutral site every year in a different city. So, I mean, give the, give the World Series team a chance to play in front of their home crowd.
1: And it also takes away the fact of what makes baseball magical is that every field is different, every yeah. stadium's different, and there's a true home field advantage. Which, is, for one game, it doesn't matter. But for, I mean, I guess one game it matters more. But it it balances out with the seven games. Right. Well, you, you make don't want to good- take that and go play at Globe Field Park every year.
0: No. And you make a great point that if the Orioles made it to the World Series and they had to play their games at at Tropicana Field or even you know Phoenix, Arizona, whatever it may be. I'd be furious. I want nothing more than to be able to go to an Orioles home World Series game at Camden Yards. I mean, that would be, I could tell you right now, that would be a top five night of my life. Right. And that's what, that's what I was trying
1: to explain to Matt a few weeks ago that I kind of feel sad for the Dodger fans. Yeah. They, got, they finally got their World Series, but they didn't get to go. Right, And, and it's they, like...
0: They traveled I, okay. They had some fans in attendance there, but it's, it's not even close to the same as you know, what you'd expect. I mean, Dodger right. Stadium holds, what, 70,000? Yeah, it's yeah it's an, something it, like that's big. Just an but, insane number of fans, and for them not to be able to you know, have that at home, I mean, even Kershaw said that. He said it was great to be in his hometown because he grew up near, near Dallas, um, but it, it, there's, there's nothing like being able to do that in front of the home crowd and, and celebrate in front of those fans that have been waiting for the Dodgers instance since 1988. Right, right. Think about uh, the Dumb and Young double
1: and how loud that stadium got. And how players on the field were affected by that. And players have since came out and said how that was one of the most amazing moments of their, of their playing time in Baltimore. Yeah. And, and um, Trevor Barrow tried to suck up to the Oriole fans a few weeks ago with making a comment when he was at BWI about playing in front of those fans. Yeah. You lose that when you go to a neutral site.
0: Right. Yeah, I think they should keep it as as they've done. Give the give the teams in the World Series a chance to play at home, and and like I said, you already have the All Star Game at a at a different city every year. Which I agree about. That makes sense. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that 100.
1: That's a celebration of the sport of baseball, not a celebration of your town. Right.
0: By the way, Rob Manfred, if you're listening, Baltimore deserves one. Bring it back.
1: Yeah, that's a whole different story. And <laughs> we you don't know,
0: have to we'll, get into that this time.
1: You know let's get into that in a few minutes because there there was a great article in the sun that that kind of covers that a little bit, so we'll talk about that sure, but while we're staying on this MLB uh, how about what do you think of the rule changes that they did over these sixty games? Are there any that you like that you would like to see stay?
0: Yes, I'm a big proponent of the universal designated hitter i I don't think that you know, all right, if, all right. when, way to choose the obvious one. <laughs> I mean, pitchers are trying to swing the bat. They haven't done it since high school, especially when you send American league teams to a national league park. It just doesn't make sense to me. And people will argue that the strategy part of the game. Okay, fine. But no, when, that doesn't matter. We no, because when we you take saw, a look at, sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off. When no, you take a uh, look no. at the best, the best pitch, the best hitting pitchers, they're still not anywhere near like, they have they have Ryan Flaherty type numbers at the plate. Madison Bumgarner's best season was not a good offensive season by any stretch.
1: No, and you'll still see managers. Anyone who wants to argue that if you've thrown the DH, the managers don't do anything, I'll just point you to uh, pulling Blake Snell way too early. Yep. And then for the Orioles years ago, bringing in Ubaldo when you could have brought in Britain. Managers matter in baseball.
0: Exactly. Especially Regardless with of- how you.
1: It's all about how you handle that pitching staff. And, no, the DH is just an obvious one. It's time. Baseball purists, I know, don't like it. Honestly, I don't like it, except I want it to be the same in both leagues. That's fair. So, so the, And I know that the DH allows you to have an older guy on your roster. It allows people to extend their playing career. So I know there's no going away from the DH. So I want the DH in both sides.
0: Yeah. I think we talked about this, honestly, last time I was on the show, which was at least a year ago, I think, at this point. We, we discussed some some of the rule changes. But, yeah, Universal DH I'm in favor of. I don't have any problem with the three batter minimum. I thought I would, but... I don't like it. I, I, don't, I mean, I have no reason to have a huge issue with it. I don't love it, but I, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent, I guess.
1: I don't think it helps with any timetables or anything. I don't think it speeds up the game enough to take away that moment of strategy.
0: Right, and even if it does speed up the game, I mean, you're not gonna, I I feel like a lot of these rule changes that Manfred's tried to implement is to attract new fans. You're not gonna attract new baseball fans by shortening the game from three hours and five minutes to 250. It's just not gonna happen. All you're doing with these, these rule changes is annoying The traditionalist fans that you already have. It's not going to draw anybody else in. Football games are three hours. Nobody complains about that. NBA games are coming on three hours. Nobody complains about that. All right, but here's the difference there's action, action, action. At least that's what people
1: say. Really, if you come with all the NFL walking around and everything, it's not action, action, action. Right. But that brings me to the rule that I want to continue from this season that I thought I was going to hate until it played out, which is the man on second base and extra innings. I love it because it brings the immediate action to the field. And the, you can still have 18-20 in games, but it immediately puts you in that moment where if you're at that stadium, you're immediately standing up, cheering.
0: Yeah, I, I see. I, I, I know it's, it's
1: tough as a baseball purist.
0: It is tough, and I, I, I don't despise it. I don't hate it as much as a lot of people do. But with that being said, I just I don't know. It kind of rubs me the wrong way that a pitcher can come into a game and give up a ground out, a fly out, and a strikeout. And he gives up that run and takes a loss. Which brings us to a whole new discussion that pitcher wins and losses are absolutely ridiculous as a statistic. It doesn't make any sense. But I don't know. It kind of rubs me the wrong way. But maybe that's only because I play fantasy baseball and I usually carry a lot of relief pitchers. And I was bit by that a few times this year where I had a guy come in and, and take a loss, which is negative points for me. But I digress. And I hear you because
1: it's something I thought I would hate until I saw it. And then I was like, oh, this is fun. It puts the pressure on immediately, it and does, I like that idea of once you get into it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like hockey when you get because once you get into overtime, it's it's like or it's like a next point wins type thing. It's a fast adds that extra pressure where you had nine innings to get it right. Now there's pressure to get it done, and I kind of like that.
0: Yeah, I have no problem with that, and it almost makes you feel like you know there's always an opportunity. It makes it makes for some exciting finishes to the game. But it's one of those things where I feel like in a few – if this is a rule that sticks around, in a few years, I'll have become so content with it I won't even remember what it was like before there was a runner on second.
1: Sure. It's like um, – honestly, yeah. As a baseball purist, I hate uh, divisional play. I hate that we play National League teams. And it's going to be – that. It's, I think it's that same type of thing where once – it, it's been that way for so long that I don't even think about it anymore.
0: Right. you you kind of become accustomed to it at some point. Right. And we'll right. all adjust as time goes on.
1: Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine.
0: How about all the right. – uh, you, what's your take on the 16 teams making the playoffs?
1: All right. I kind of like it and I kind of hate it. Here's the problem. I love the one-game play-in. Yeah. And you lose that with the 16. I would love the 16 if the first round was one game because then it's more of that win or go home. And I just – I love that. And maybe it might be because Orioles have done really well at those. That is true. And if they if they lost in Texas, uh, I would be a little more upset about it. Yeah. So – but I like it. How about you?
0: Uh, I, I don't love it, but I don't really hate it. It, it made for some exciting first-round matchups. Um, with that being said, I think what baseball was trying to accomplish was to increase the excitement of the playoff race near the end of the regular season. And it does that to an extent, but it loses its luster when all those teams are hovering around 500. And, I, and you, see, sure. you saw the Astros this year. They were a sub-500 team in the regular season, and they damn near made it to the World Series.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, I want to see this play out in a full season. instead of a shortened season and see how it is. It's the same type of complaints we hear all the time about the NFL. I mean, the NFC East, that team is going to be below 500 and they get in the playoffs, Right. whoever wins that division. So it's it's understandable, but you would hope that by making it not the one-game playoffs, but making it five games, that that gets rid of bad teams.
0: Yeah, you'd hope so, and we'll see if if that's something that sticks around moving forward, but... You know, it was it was a very experimental season for for all of us. Really, it was an adjustment period, and you know we'll see what Manfred decides to keep around and, and what he decides to nix.
1: Well, and the truth is, it's not up to him. I mean, the players' union has a lot to say about this, and there's I'm true. very interested to see. We've been talking, we've been talking for over at least a year of this whole 2021 restructuring. Hopefully, we don't go into a strike year in 2022 type thing. Um, since the current agreement ends at the end of next season. And there's lots of talk that that all might get delayed because of the COVID season and because of the uncertainty of – because it works in the players' favor too because uh, owners don't want to agree to give out much money right now when they don't know if fans are going to be back and how many fans are going to be back and all that. So they might push it a year, which would be interesting.
0: Right. And I, I hate to pin it all on Manfred because I know it's not all up to him. Like you said, the union has a lot of say in it. He just kind of becomes a scapegoat, and he's the face that you know, we all want to blame, kind of like Duquette was for the Orioles as GM for a while. Well,
1: and he says stupid things like we, the concept of a neutral site should be considered. Exactly. I mean, uh, like we, what you? What's the first thing that comes to
0: mind with Lake?
1: Okay. Sorry, I lost but, it with, with, with Bud Selig, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
0: Oh, gosh. I can't even remember the Selig days because I'm so focused on Manfred nowadays. All right. How about, how about the Thai All-Star game? That was Selig, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was you remember,
1: Yeah, you remember the stupid things these guys do because no one remembers the good things they do. If you're not talking about Rob Manfred, then he's doing his job fine. Exactly. You talk like, about him when he fails.
0: He's like an umpire. You know, Angel Hernandez, we all know, because he makes bad calls and everybody talks about him. The right. good umpires are the ones whose names you have you don't know.
1: Yeah, of course. All right. All right. Uh, Jeff Barker for the Sun. Um, I don't think we've had Jeff on here before. So but either way I won't bash him, but this is because I know it's gotta be hard to write about the Orioles at the end of October. But his headline this week on the 30th is potential Orioles bidders line up in hopes that the Angelos family decides to sell. Do you think there's anything at all to this story? Or is he just trying to cash on the fact that the Mets just got approval to sell?
0: I think it was an attention grabber of a headline. I mean, if you if you read the article, all it really says is if there's, the Angelos family decides to sell, these people might want to buy – But the Orioles are also probably going to sign a new lease at Camden Yards and stick around for quite some time. So just the headline itself sent Orioles social media into a a little bit of a tizzy for a few hours.
1: Oh, I'll tell you, this episode is going to be called something about the Orioles selling because (laughs) it gets clicks. Um, Because I read the article. There is nothing new in the article. I can summarize it for you real quick. Peter Angelos is old. Uh, The Orioles are about to sign an extension at Camden Yards. Baseball would love it if Cal Ripken Jr. had part ownership in whatever team is in Baltimore. That's it. Nothing new. Nothing of that. Fa- right. The facts there are uh, that Angelos is old.
0: Yeah, you nailed it. There's, there's really no substance to the article.
1: No. Uh, right. Oh, and the family shows no interest in selling, even though it says potential bidders line up. Right.
0: Yeah, he says in the article that they're probably not going to sell, but the headline says, hey, in case they decide to sell, we've got bidders lining up left yeah. and right.
1: Guess what? That is any team. Yeah. The Mets had just, sold, just got approval for Cohen to be the owner. There were people lined up in case he failed. There's plenty of rich people that want to own sports teams. And there's plenty of people who want to own the Orioles and keep them in Baltimore. So just that Angelos is selling doesn't mean they're going to Nashville. And I know everyone likes to jump on that.
0: Yeah, these Nashville rumors are, they've been going on for at least a year now, I would think. And it's, it's, every time I see it, I kind of chuckle a little bit. Cause as far as I'm concerned, you know, we've got a, a nice, still relatively new stadium i know it's the, in the, it, the older half but
1: it's the older half it's like the third oldest stadium in uh the american league yeah yeah it's it's, it, in, no, the, no. it's in the top 5 in all of major baseball and it's, it's, but like,
0: it still feels brand new and it still has yeah, you know new ballparks yeah. being modeled after it and you know what once
1: they sign that lease it's going to be even cooler cuz then they'll invest money and do it again
0: absolutely
1: and then that's when you're going to see more technology come into the stadium i think
0: yeah, I would agree. I think we'll see some updates to the the scoreboards, and you know they've done a few things here and there. But once that new revenue is coming in, I mean, it's it's right. going to be nice. And I mean, the Orioles aren't moving to Nashville anytime soon. I, and, right, and I really anywhere. think
1: this is for the Oriole haters. This is for the Red Sox fan in Savannah Park. I don't know because nobody. I don't care. Do you care if the Orioles sell? Not really. I don't care. The Angelos family is fine. We all hated Peter Angelos years ago, and now he doesn't come to games because of it. Right. Was that fair? Probably not. But at this point, guess what? His sons have came up, and they've made smart statements about Baltimore, and I think we're all cool with them.
0: Yeah. I mean, his sons seem to at least care about the fan experience and and the product on the field and those two things coinciding together. So.
1: You know who liked this article? Probably Nestor. This is a Nestor oh, yeah. article.
0: Oh, he would be yeah, all over it, this.
1: Yeah. It, it's for the Oriole haters. Now, if Steve Bichotti wants to come in and buy the Orioles, I'd be all for that because he's a great owner. Yeah. Um, But the, I don't care. Yeah. It's, I, it's, I a, it's a trash article for it to grab clicks.
0: Yeah. I, I wouldn't lose sleep over it either way. And, uh, you know, like I said, like you said, the Orioles aren't going anywhere anytime soon.
1: Yeah. And it's – I just pulled it up. It's a ridiculously long article that has nothing in it. Yeah. It's, it's a, his, his final sentence. You think about the ballpark and where it is located and what a great place it is to come to. And it adds up to a fantastic opportunity if the club was for sale. <laughs> doesn't make any
0: sense. Oh, man. I mean, he got his clicks. Good for him. He did. I mean, yeah, we're talking about it because we know
1: <laughs> Oriole fans go crazy about this stuff. I guess, I guess Jeff Barker wins this round. All right. The other Orioles news this week is uh, they, they – they, let's see. Let's go Anthony Santander, as he got a
0: gold glove nomination
1: um, for the, what, the 28
0: games he played? Something like that. It, it was a, a pretty small number. I and mean, we saw a couple guys at second base in the – I think Nico Horner in the National League got a nomination. And uh, I think it was Danny Mendick for the White Sox. All They both played like 23, 25 games somewhere around there at their respective yeah. positions. But, I mean, if you look at American League right fielders, Santander's numbers were right up there. I mean, I think Gallo's the favorite. He was far and away, had the best you know, metrics all over the place. But – I mean, right. Fra- Sa-
1: Frazier's up there to that, but that's more of a lifetime award,
0: right? Yeah. Uh, Not but, this year. Yeah. I mean, Santander is, he, he held his own out there. He was a lot better than any of us, I think expected. You know, when you think of Anthony Santander, you don't think of, of defense. You think of, you know, 30 homer potential and that's about it. But for him to right. have this, this half season defensively that he did is, is pretty cool. And, and hopefully he, he carries that over in the next season.
1: Now they're nominate, Now they're announcing the Gold Gloves this week. Um, if you were to schedule uh, a show on TV to announce these these winners, when do you think would be the absolute worst time for you to schedule it? Oh man! This week
0: Thursday night football.
1: Uh, well, no. I, I, yeah, you wouldn't want to compete about Thursday night.
0: But oh, how is about, it is it on election night? It is election night. <laughs> it is Tuesday, November third
1: at eight p.m. So that's about what rate right when the East Coast uh, Poland station closed. <laughs> when everyone is on the, watching the news to see who's winning the election, and that is when there's a special on ESPN to announce
0: the Gold Glove Awards. Goodness, I didn't even think about election night being this week. I mean, I'm. I, you see all these these advert, and we don't need to get into this, but all these advertisements to register to vote and all that. I've been registered since I was 18, and I think most people who are going to vote have been. I just I'm, – yes. I'm ready for this election season to be over. Well, we all are. Yeah. And you know what?
1: I'm down here in Florida. So we're a uh, – what is it? A swing state? Yep. So I, I tweeted jokingly that this is the first time that my votes actually mattered Yep. Uh, this year. But um, if you think that you get the election ads bad in Maryland, it is the only thing on TV down
0: here. Oh, I'm sure. I don't doubt and, it. And if I open
1: up my computer, if I open up my phone, I get a text message every single day reminded me to vote mhm and i and i type stop so i don't get it anymore and the next day i get another one from a different phone number
0: oh i'm sure yeah it is unbelievable it's crazy well uh, yeah i'm in maryland my vote doesn't count when i moved to arizona if i were to register there my vote wouldn't count
1: <laughs> but for, well now arizona is a little bit more suing a little bit uh, yeah it leans one way but um, but remember, but still go out and vote because it does matter for Absolutely. the small local stuff.
0: Oh yeah, I'm so. not. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. Definitely no. go out and vote. I'm just. I'm just so yeah. tired of all this. No, we all are. Yeah. We all are.
1: It's time to move on, and let's hope that <laughs> let's hope that we can move on after this. We'll see how things go. Yes, we will. All right, let's stick to baseball because neither of us wants to talk politics. No. Um, the other news this week is glacius who the Orioles he's nominated for the all MLB team which I guess is like this year's all-star team yeah but the Orioles also picked up his option which seems pretty obvious right
0: yeah it, it seemed like the obvious move to make and I'm glad they came through on it. it it seemed like fans were questioning whether or not they would do it but at the it's
1: it's three and a half million last year he got two and a half million
0: yeah I mean it's it's a good deal for a, a good player and I think, you you know, you've got to take advantage of that and bring him back for another year. And I think it's going to be good for the for the young pitchers, too, to have a, a really sound defensive shortstop behind him. Um, and as long as he can stay healthy, it's going to take away some of the Andrew Velasquez. We're not going to need to force Richie Martin up. We're not going to feel the need to rush Gunnar Henderson. We're going to be able to give them another year to, to settle in the minor leagues and, and figure their way up. And I'll tell you what,
1: when I look at this all MLB team, he's not going to make it. Because he's up against Fernando Tatis, Tatis Jr. out in San Diego, yeah. who will probably take it. But uh, if they did American League and National League divisions, his numbers look good. He ended the season with a three seventy three batting average. Yeah. With three home runs, 24 RBIs, and a nine fifty six OPS. I mean, it would be nice to see him for a whole year.
0: It would. And you don't expect those numbers from a guy who... His whole career has been a defensive-minded shortstop. He's never been a great hitter. And this year, uh, I don't know what happened, but he figured it out. And it was, it was very exciting to watch when he was healthy.
1: Yeah, and they, uh, baseball is handling this vote a lot better. It'll be announced sometime in December. <laughs> Smart. Uh, yeah, it says this. to be announced in early December.
0: Well, they figured that one out.
1: Right. Well, that's, yeah. For some reason, they decided, uh, if, yeah, if people are going to vote, we'll do it later. I don't know. Um, and then final, or, let's see. The Orioles, I, this kind of goes back to the whole state of baseball. And I kind of want to talk some state of baseball stuff with you because of how revenue for all sports is down right now. And viewership is down. No one got to go and see any Oriole games this year in person. So the Orioles this week announced that they laid off 50 people. Some of them were from PR, some from ticket sales, kind of all throughout the warehouse. And I think that kind of says a lot about not the state of the Orioles, but kind of the state of baseball and this uncertainty that we're in right now.
0: Yeah, well, you see teams all over the place trying to cut money wherever they can. And,
1: uh, oh, and every team laid people off this week. It's not just the Orioles.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, this isn't an isolated thing. And it's it's happened a couple times throughout the course of these, these past few months where you know, there's a series of layoffs and, or furloughs or whatever you want to call them. And yeah, it's sad, but you have to understand that these teams aren't bringing in the type of revenue that they're used to. And it's going to affect, you know, these jobs that, that are getting laid off and it's going to affect free agency too. I mean, the Indians turned down a $10 million option on Brad Hand, who's a top three relief pitcher in baseball. And we're going to see that trickle down effect all over the place. And I don't think it's going to, return to normalcy anytime soon. And those are the effects you get when you have to shorten a season to 60 games and not allow fans due to this pandemic.
1: Right. And we've seen this, and it's affecting baseball. It's affecting, it's affecting all sports. But the truth is it's affecting everyone yeah. and all types of businesses. And we're seeing restructuring in all kinds of businesses and a lot more technology use. So it's one of those things where suddenly you have to prove your value to your workplace, and it's, it's inter- I think we're going to see a lot of this as uh, businesses start to open back up of being like, okay, well, let's look at your productivity, and with you, with, not, with you not being in the office, business went fine, so why do I have you in the office now? Um, we're seeing a lot of this with sales guys in different businesses that um, they're not proven, especially sales managers aren't having to do as much because they're not having to wrangle teams on and it's all being virtual. So then suddenly it's, well, what good are you? And I think baseball is going through that just like any other business where it's prepping for 2021, trying to figure out, are we going to have fans in the stadium? Are we going to have full stadiums? Are people going to be comfortable coming? Or do we need to focus on the virtual and television market?
0: Right. Well, you you nailed it. I mean, with just about every business – around the country right now, converting in at least partly to, you know, technologically doing these kind of things, um, you know, people become more expendable. And like you said, what good are you if we can do this online? And I mean, it's just a sign of the times. And like you said, it's not just baseball. It's it's all over the country, all over the world, really. And, you know, we're going to have to, I guess, become accustomed to that if it's not going to change anytime soon. But, you know, that's, that's just the way things are now, and it's, it's unfortunate, but, you know, we're going to have to adjust as we do with, with everything in life.
1: Right. I saw today I was reading that the Holiday Inn in Baltimore, downtown, just closed down for good and shut its door, and they're blaming the coronavirus for wow. why and the lack of travel and all, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But then I think as a kid, that's where the Yankees used to stay. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was, the stadium, that was the hotel when teams would come into town. And I know there's some nice, much nicer hotels, so I know baseball teams aren't staying there anymore. They've got the Hilton, they've got the Four Seasons, and some nice, stadium, nice hotels, but still, all of that trickles down. Because the baseball players didn't stay at that Holiday Inn, but all the Red Sox fans did. People who came down for the weekends and not having that attendance this summer has killed small businesses and large businesses alike.
0: Yeah, it's all over the place. And you mentioned hotels. I mean, I tried to get a a balcony at the Hilton for um, you know, to watch an Orioles game. And they were all I don't know if they were booked up or if they shut them down or or what, but I don't think they I don't think the Hilton's been open at all since since the beginning of the pandemic.
1: No, cuz I I don't know because you would think when we would watch one of the games that if there were people on those balconies cheering on the Orioles, they would have shown it on TV.
0: Oh yeah, we would have seen them just like you do with people sitting on the top of of parking garages outside in Nats Park or whatever, you know. Right, right, and
1: we didn't see any of that. Right. So.
0: And they, um, they put up those borders so that fans couldn't stand behind the fence out in center field either. And, and, and that's, I understand that yeah. that is to try to deter crowds. Exactly. You don't want to build because a crowd out there with what's going on, but it would have been nice to, you know, be able to go chill and, and watch a game from the balcony at the Hilton, but they didn't allow any of that. I actually had a, I had a room booked for, uh, what was supposed to be opening weekend. It turns out the Orioles opened on the road, so I canceled my reservation, but Again, I'm not even sure if they were open. I'm sure they would have canceled it on their end if, if that was the case.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I don't, I don't know how they would have handled that. I don't know. Um, I guess now that – what do you see as the Orioles' offseason, kind of what they need to work on, what they need to focus on? This is a weird offseason because I believe that 2020, when we talk about the rebuild, 2020 is the first step up. So I think we're on our way up, but it's still a long way to go.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think there are some strides to make this offseason. Uh, I think the 40-man roster sits at 33 now after we claimed Yomer Sanchez. I could be wrong on that number, uh, but the Orioles will have to figure out who they want to protect before the Rule 5 draft. There's a lot of names who might be on the bubble. Um, in terms of moves to make, I think picking up Iglesias' option was the biggest one that we should have done. Uh, and you'll you'll see Orioles fans talking about Oh, sign Trevor Bauer. That's not going to happen. Sign Brad Hand. That's not going to happen. I would
1: like to sign Trevor Bauer. Oh, I would love to. I think if this was a normal season and not a 60-game season, and we knew that next season we would have fans back in the stadium and everything, I think now would be the time to invest in the pitcher. I,
0: I, I agree, and I disagree. I think that, yes, we need to take a step up in 2021. But I don't think we're true competitors until 2022 or 23. And if a guy like Bauer is going to hold true to his I'm only taking one-year deals kind of thing, oh. then he'll be on the market again next off-season yes. and the one after that. And at that point, absolutely grab him. I, I no, love Trevor Bauer.
1: No, and when I say sign him, it's not for a one-year deal. I'm saying I need three years out of you.
0: Yeah, oh, I, would, I because would love that.
1: What I want you is I want – and I still think there's an opportunity – to sign him or a guy like Bauer, but we'll use Bauer as the example, this offseason, because you can save a little bit of money by saying, hey, we didn't make any money last season. We're not sure what's going on this season. Maybe get a slight discount and, and get him on board with, we've got all this young pitching. I need you to come in, be the ace, lead these guys, and we're winning the World Series in 2023 on your back. I think you can get a guy convinced that way and maybe save some money at the same time by going now.
0: I would love that, but the, the only issue with Bauer is that he's come out and said he's only taking one year deals for the rest of his career. So you'd have to convince him that. that yeah, you've got to convince go. him.
1: You've got to convince him, and you've got to probably do a, uh, some options or something. Yeah. Do an option plan. Um, but I think I like Bauer, but I think I would love to see a veteran pitcher in the prime of his career that we can lock up for three years right now so that, you know, that guy's out there. You can rely on him um, and the young guys can learn from him and develop in him. And so that when you get to that point that we're playoffs, it's not, we brought this one guy in and he fixed everything. It's we brought this one guy in and built a team around him.
0: Right. And there are a couple of guys that, that stand out to me in that regard. And they may not be the best options on the field, but Uh, they're both familiar with the AL East, Marcus Stroman and Chris Archer. Those are two guys who have both spent many years in the, in the AL East, Stroman with the Jays and Archer with the, with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. And, uh, they're veteran guys, good people seem to be fun locker room presences and yeah, why not bring a guy, bring a guy like them on to, uh, to help the young staff along.
1: Yeah. It's similar and people are going to hate this comparison but it's similar to the Padres locking up Machado for 10 years, saying, hey, we've got all these young people, but we need this veteran. We want you to be here and lead these kids. Right. And that's what I'd like to see in Baltimore. And if you don't do it this off season, I think you do it the next offseason.
0: Oh, without a doubt.
1: But I'm wondering if you get a deal doing it this season before the new players union agreement uh, and in between this COVID and everything. And I wonder if... The fun that we saw for, like, the first 30 games, you don't hurry things up, but you try to make that gel a little better going into the next season with a veteran presence.
0: Yeah, and I think you have to at least make an effort. And like you said, if it's not going to happen this offseason, it has to happen before next. And we're in a position now where, like you said, bring a couple veteran guys on who are going to help the younger people along. We have a lot of guys who are going to come up through the system these next couple of years, and they're going to need that veteran presence. And uh, I'm sorry Chris Davis isn't going to be the guy, and we hope, God willing, that, that Trey Mancini can be there to, to help with the adjustment for some of these youngins. But, yeah, um, yeah we, I, I feel like we've got to bring in a, a vet or two to, to really help everything gel. And I want that vet here when
1: Adley comes up. Yeah. Because I, want, I don't want all that pressure on Adley to build these pitchers. Right. I need a veteran pitcher that can work with Adley, make Adley a better catcher, which then in turn also helps all those young guys. Yeah. And I'm open. I don't think the Orioles are going to do it, but I am completely open to bringing Adley on opening day next year. Because yeah, I think sure. I think that, that, that time in Bowie seemed to be so focused that it seemed to be like a... Um, Super aggressive minor league season on how focused they were based on the, what we saw of how guys like D.J. Stewart would go down, and then come up and suddenly everything's fixed. And we saw that a few times this season where when the guys came up, they were ready to go.
0: Yeah. And all reports are that Rushman was just as advertised at the alternate site this year. So, I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to rush him, but at the same time, if you think he's ready, why not give him a shot?
1: And I and I don't want to rush him either, but I also know he played college ball. Yeah. It's not like a high schooler that you're bringing up. Right. And I know when I was a kid, you used to go from college ball straight into the majors. So I don't know if there's anything that Adley needs to prove at the minor leagues.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you said it. Al Kaline hit, won a batting title when he was 20. I mean – these these guys are, are able to do it at a young age. I mean, Juan Soto came up at 20 years old and and tore the baseball world apart. Ronald Acuna did it at 20, 21, however old he was, and Adley's coming on 23, I believe. So yeah, there's yeah. there's there's some developmental needs there, but at the same time, if a guy is shown time and time again at each level that he can compete and and play, you know, with the big dogs, yeah, give him a shot. Let him be the the opening day catcher next year. I'm I'm into it.
1: Yep. But we'll see what they do. And that's my time. We have not been shy on Section 336 that we have a timetable for the Orioles, that we expect a World Series in 2023. Mm-hmm. And, and that sounds crazy, but that's the timetable we are pushing for. And, that, and based on the Orioles moves this weird season, I think that's what they're on pace for aiming for as well.
0: I think it's certainly within the realm of possibility, especially when you consider the coaching staff that we have going on in the minor leagues right now and everything that they've been able to do, even just in these, the 60 game window that we had, you know, everybody, everybody seems to be doing well. It did wonders with Ryan Mountcastle, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, DJ Stewart, after he was sent down, Cedric Mullins, you see these guys come up and, and they're ready to go. And something about this developmental staff that Mike Elias and company have put together, they're doing something right. And it's, it's extremely encouraging for the future of the Orioles.
1: It is. It is. Um, do you like Brandon Hyde as a manager? Do you think he's a holdover, a temp guy until we are ready to win? Or do you think this guy can take the team?
0: You know, I asked this to uh, to Paul Valley on the, the first episode of, of my new podcast, and we were kind of on the fence. Uh, we saw the White Sox fire Rick Renneria last week and just, just hired Tony Larusa.
1: Yeah, that sounds – I hate that move.
0: I do too. and. Renner, they, they they just got to the, they finally all came together. The the young players, Luis Robert came up, Nick Madrigal came up, uh, Andrew Vaughn is is getting really close. Eloy Jimenez had his first full season. You got all these guys, this young core coming together, and they were good enough to make the playoffs. And then they they say, all right, Renneria, you're done. We're going to bring in a new guy to get us over the hump. And when Hyde was first hired, I thought that it was yeah, maybe just a stopgap until we. We find someone like a Joe Madden who has that experience to get us to the next level. Um, and yes, Hyde has his flaws, but at the same time, you know, Paul mentioned this on my show, he, he gets the best out of his players. And I think, I think Paul was right. I mean, he's, he's a likable guy. Uh, he, he seems pretty solid with the media. But I think the fact of the matter is none of us really have any idea if he's going to be the guy once the Orioles are legitimately contending for that World Series.
1: Of, of course we we don't know. Yeah. But I think I'm with you. I thought, well, obviously you're bringing in a guy who's never managed before because who cares right now. But I see the team gelling with Brandon Hyde. And I, outside of Chris Davis and him fighting a couple of years ago, um, I guess that was the last year. Yeah. Outside of that, it seems like the players respect him. And it seems like the players are getting better under his direction. And I've been very happy this year with how he used the bullpen. So I see all that and I say, okay, they could win a World Series with this guy. So I, I kind of, and I kind of also like the idea of your trust is in this guy and hey, build it and we'll get to that promised land together rather than build it and when it, we can see the new land We'll pull you out and put someone else in. That doesn't seem fair.
0: No, it doesn't. You have to understand that this is Hyde's first major league managerial job. So we don't know what, what it's going to be like when push comes to shove. But so far, the signs point to he's, I mean, why why can't he be the guy? The players respect him. It seems he respects the players. Like you said, his bullpen usage was solid. If you ignore the Cole Sulcer thing, I didn't like that. But other than that, he did a solid job. And he's going to get better as a manager, too. So I say, why not give him the chance and keep him around? But if if upper management wants to go a different direction, I mean, I guess that's why they get paid the big bucks, right? But it's also like
1: Brandon Hyde has had proven enough being like a bench coach yeah. uh, with the Cubs and stuff and player development and everything that uh, he kind of earned his way up here. It's not like he's a young. I mean, never mind, he's a young guy. He's forty seven years old. <laughs> I I I can't call that an old guy when I'm now 40 years old. But still, if he's old enough, it's not like you're bringing just like a a college kid in and saying, "Here, coach. He's worked his way up here." And I think it's it's been impressive.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And if if he's the guy if he leads next year's Orioles to, you know, a 500 season over 162 games, you you got to keep someone like that around because the team that we're going to construct for next year, unless we make a couple big splashes in free agency, they're not going to be designed to be a 500 team. Right. And if he can Remember, if he can get them over that hump, then keep them around right. long term.
1: Remember, he brought this team and overperformed this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were supposed to win less than 20 games.
0: Yeah, some said less than as, 10.
1: Yeah, exactly. Some <laughs> said less than 10. And this team definitely overperformed. So that's something to uh, keep in mind and looking ahead. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned the Rule 5, and we got to protect some guys. Which is weird because normally we don't have anything in our farm system worth protecting. So Rule 5 draft is in December. Here's some names I've just pulled out. Tell me if you think we need to protect any of these. Usanel uh, Diaz. Yes. Michael ba- Bauman. Yes. Ryan Bannon.
0: Probably. And I'll, I'll elaborate <laughs> after we get through the list. All right. Zach Pop, Yes. Zach Lother. Yes. Alexander Wells? I'm going to say no on Wells. Oh, that was one of my yeses,
1: but okay. All right, Isaac Matson.
0: I, I want to say oh, that's a tough one because he was supposed to be the centerpiece of the Bundy trade, and you don't want to give up on him yet. I'm going to say yes just for that reason.
1: All right, so you are saying yes to everyone except for Alex Wells. And possibly Bannon. Oh, all right, so let's start with Bannon. Tell me why you're on the fence with Bannon.
0: I'm on the f- – I, I lean toward yes with Bannon because the Orioles aren't great right now at second base and third base. And that's where Bannon plays his best defense. Okay. I say no because I don't – got
1: a few shortstops coming up. Yeah,
0: and I, I don't think Bannon's going to be anything more than a decent utility guy. And you can find those guys all over the place. Now, I don't want to give up on Bannon. I think he's a good kid, good head on his shoulders. I saw him play a lot in the Arizona Fall League last year, and he's not a bad player. I just I don't think he's a major league regular. Now, I think the Orioles will protect him only because they don't have a lot of great options, especially at third base next year, if they're going to, you know... Maybe they'll they'll give Rio Ruiz and Renato Nunez another chance, but Bannon could be the guy. Um, but... If the Orioles were a little more solidified somewhere with with a third baseman, I think Bannon would be the odd man out.
1: Yeah, I can I can see that. I think um, I think when you pull up our like whatever top fifty prospects or whatever, there's a couple middle infielders on there. Mm-hmm. So Bannon might not make it. It might be the odd guy, and I think that's I lean on keeping a guy like Alex Wells because I feel like pitching is so desperately needed, and um, again, but the problem is with a guy like Alex Wells is not being able to see him in 2020. Right. So where I saw him get his ERA down when he was in Bowie, he got it down under three. I don't know what the, if he can make that next step because I didn't see his development in 2020.
0: Right, and I don't want you to think that I'm I'm sour on Wells because I'm not. I, he's he's a guy who knows how to pitch. He, he he mixes in his pitches, but his problem is he throws he tops out at ninety with his fastball, and mm-hmm. that's not, that's I want to say that's not a guy who's going to get a lot of major league hitters out. But at the same time, he's he's been successful at every level up to this point, so there's really no reason to believe it wouldn't work in the majors, but. I do think the Orioles have a lot of pitching. I think they have a lot of guys to protect. And if they can find room for Wells, I'd, I'd, I'd love that. And I think they'll try to. But there's a chance only because there's guys like Lowther and Bauman and and Zach Pop ahead of him. He, he could be on the outside looking in when, when it comes to it.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I understand that. Um, I like players that get by with... I like players that can't throw the ball hard because they have to, There's they can't just get away with throwing the ball hard. Right. And I feel like sometimes if you're throwing that high 90s ball, when you get to the majors, all you have is your fastball. And you're gonna give up the long ball if you're not throwing it at the right time. So I like guys that, that have to rely more on pitch selection and ball movement. And I think that's what you get from Alex Wells. Plus, isn't he the guy who was like a cricket and softball player that became a baseball player? So I like that background as well.
0: Yeah, and I think he's from he's from Australia, right? Yeah, he's from Australia. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was another guy who was at the Fall League last year, and I liked what I saw from him. Like you said, he's a guy who has to rely on his secondary pitches and being able to work both sides of the plate. Um, I, just, I just think there are a lot of guys in the pitching pipeline for the Orioles that are – ahead of him as it stands now, to be brutally honest. And like I said, I'd love to see the Orioles find room for him, but we'll see what happens.
1: Did you know that Alex Wells has a twin brother?
0: I did not. He has a twin brother named Lachlan Wells. Well, then there's no way Alex's real name is Alex, is there? I don't know.
1: But how about – would you believe that his brother is also a major league pitcher?
0: Uh, No. What? His his brother (laughs) –
1: these family, the I know the competition between Matt and I. Uh huh. Imagine being a twin, and you both are in the minor leagues right now with major league baseball teams.
0: Wow! Yeah, you weren't
1: kidding. He, he, no, he is in the Twins farm system. Lach Lachlan,
0: Lachlan, Lachlan. Lachlan? I don't Lachlan,
1: know. Lachlan Lachlan. He played for the Fort Myers Mighty Muscle. Last.
0: And Alex Wells' real name is Alexander Wells. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that
1: Alexander makes sense, I guess. Yeah. And uh, this guy's only at single A, where Alexander has made it up to double A, so he's got that over his brother right now. <laughs> but uh, that's a new one. I don't know why uh, Orioles PR has not been talking about the fact that Alex is a twin.
0: Yeah, I had I had no idea that that honestly blows my mind. Is it? You, you'd think it that we blows would my know that. that
1: well, that they're both and that they're both pitchers. Right. Like that seems like something we, we should have known.
0: Yeah, and especially uh, considering there haven't been, if any, there haven't been a lot of Australian-born players to make it to the major leagues. Right. I think we would yeah. know that, that two brothers were fighting to be the first.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great storyline, story. All right, you said to save Zach Pop. Why? Tell me what, what's special about Zach Pop, because I thought he was special, and I have not been impressed.
0: Yeah, well, a big part of him, I mean, he had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago and, and hasn't been healthy. Um, but I don't know. I just – something about him, I feel like he deserves a shot to prove that he can be a bullpen piece. I, don't, I, I can't really make you, a strong argument. It's just kind of a gut feeling with Pop.
1: I know. I no, I know why. You are desperate to make the Musina trade make sense. The Machado trade. You are de- the Machado trade. <laughs> yeah, the Mucina trade was a so long – no trade there. Um, yeah, the to the Yankees did not make sense. It will never make sense. Yeah. But Machado to the Dodgers, you not only need it to make sense as an Oriole fan, you need to one-up the Dodgers. <laughs> you need to show that somehow we won that trade.
0: You know what? That might be an underlying part of it, but at the same time, if that was my mindset, I think I'd be a little more sold on Ryland Bannon. But I think Kramer's going to be the, the crown jewel of that deal, and I'd love to see Diaz get a shot if he's healthy, but I don't think it'll happen in 2021.
1: All right. Well, we'll see. Uh, Diaz makes a lot of sense. Bauman makes a lot of sense. I think he just had, did he have Tommy John this offseason? I'm not Bauman? sure. I don't think so. All right. Okay. For some that's be, what I thought. I could be wrong. And to be honest, I don't even know who Isaac Matson is.
0: He is so. a big burly relief pitcher that we got from the Angels in the Dylan Bundy trade. Gotcha. And I think I only said yes for him because kind of with, with Pop, I want the Bundy trade to look okay.
1: I'm telling you, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. So, all right. Um, well, that's kind of what all the Orioles have to do now between now and December. Which I can't believe it's already November. For one, no, it's, it's but come by. on, it's it's not that it's flown by. It's that life has been a complete blur since March. There's
0: that. There's Absolutely. like
1: time. Time has no more meaning since March. Mm-hmm. Um, we're recording this on Sunday night. Ravens lost to the Steelers
0: today. Ah. Oh, uh, yes, they did.
1: I, as disappointing as the loss was, I am really excited that the Ravens-Steelers rivalry is back. I felt like it had fallen kind of from the wayside the past couple years. And uh, we hate each other once again on the field and off the field.
0: Oh, yeah. And I think part of that, especially last year, was the Steelers didn't have Roethlisberger for either of their their two games against Baltimore. Um, but I went up there. And our defense struggled. Yeah. Yeah. I went up there to Heinz Field for the first time. I, think, I don't think it was last year. I think it was the year before. Uh, the Orioles won in Pittsburgh, and it was a, a, a great time. Um, but yeah, the rivalry's back. The, the players don't like each other. We saw a player get ejected today. We saw a couple of unnecessary roughness penalties. But man, that was a tough loss to swallow.
1: It, it was. It was tough. It is tough. Um, Matt gives me a hard time because I will go on and say the Ravens aren't that good. And when I say that, I understand the Ravens are good. What I mean is the Ravens are not great. They, they couldn't, can't beat the Chiefs, they can't beat the Steelers. Now, like, granted, those are the number one and two teams in the NFL. So they're beating everyone else on their schedule. So the Ravens are good, but I think the expectations for the Ravens this year is the Super Bowl. And because of that, I'm kind of starting to sit back and say, maybe they're not good enough to win the Super Bowl this year.
0: Yeah, and it's a, it's a scary thought to have because we know just how talented the players on the field are. And losing Stanley today, of course, is going to hurt. But it's a team that, that needs to prove that they can win the big games. And they, they, I'm, they're beating the teams that they're supposed to beat, but they can't come you know through I'm when the push big, comes to shove.
1: The big game doesn't scare me. I don't think that we have a problem with the big game because you can't really predict when the big game will be. What we have a problem with is this offense is not built to come back and to, and to not be behind. Right. The Chiefs and the Steelers are the only teams we've been behind from, mm-hmm. and we can't beat them. Every other game this season, we have scored first, and we never looked back. Yeah. I think that's the difference. Um, and Lamar struggled today, but at the same time, it was fun to see Lamar be Lamar, and I felt like that's been missing all season.
0: Yeah, they kind of let him loose, and it was it was exciting to see, you know. But and yeah, like you said, it's we have a hard time coming from behind. But what did we see on Sunday against the Steelers when the Orioles or when the Ravens fell behind in the second half? They put together, They didn't end up scoring on this drive, but they had a nice ten play drive, chewed up a bunch of time, and they just ran the ball. They ran the ball yeah. down Pittsburgh's throat. They stuck to the original game plan. And it put them in scoring range, and granted they couldn't push the ball over the line, which ended up being a big difference in the game. But with, they attacked the run, and that's how you beat teams that you know yeah. have trouble. The
1: against. best, the best defense in football, and Dobbins got like 113 yards. Yeah, um, Edwards got like 87, and Lamar passed 50 as well. So running the ball helps. Um, but then we did, see, we did see Marquise Brown get on Twitter this evening with a comment uh, r- that reminds all of us that he is cousins with Antonio Brown. <laughs> As he tweeted, uh, what's the point of having soldiers if you're not using them? And I believe I'm saying soldiers correctly.
0: <laughs> Can you say it one more time for but
1: me? I am 40 years old reading <laughs> something that says soldiers. Soldiers.
0: Yeah, it's it was a, I mean it was a it was a tweet of frustration, and like you said, it reminds us that he's cousins with Antonio Brown. I think there's a little bit of growing up to do there, but I understand his frustration. You lose a big game against a division rival. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'd have to look back and see if he was healthy for the Steelers games I, last year, but this might have been his first real taste of of Raven Steelers action. Yeah, I. I... He was probably around for the first game last I year. Think I think he was. But, I think he was. Um, I think that was week four, and I think he was okay. Yeah, but I. And you, you get the ball once, the, granted it was a s- touchdown catch, but I think as yeah, fans we want to see him get more involved too. But you can't take to Twitter oh yeah, and do. act like you're being disrespected because the team couldn't find no. a way to get you the ball today.
1: I want I want Lamar to respond on Twitter with a simply get open.
0: <laughs> uh, wouldn't that because be great?
1: I don't know, and I don't watch the overhead. I'll ask Ken on film study this week. But maybe you weren't open. Yeah. Now, part of it is also we haven't lo- we didn't look downfield at all. Right. Maybe there were two passes downfield today. Yeah. But maybe our wide receivers kind of suck, and you're the best wide receiver we have, so they're going to put their best defender on you. Exactly. And try to take you out of the
0: game. Right. And now you also have to consider Willie Snead had over 100 yards today. I don't think we've seen that before in a Ravens uniform. How about Boykin caught two catches
1: at the beginning of the game, the touchdown and the one before, that I don't know how he caught those balls. No. Because Boykin sucks.
0: Yeah. He he can't even remember what routes to run half the time. And I think he knows that that the the Ravens signed Des Bryant to eventually take his job. So he's got something to play for. But Hollywood's got to understand it's not always going to be – you're not always going to be the guy. Let, let Willie you know need have his hundred yard day. Let Miles Boy can catch yeah. a touchdown pass. It's all part of the process.
1: Yep. I really wanted us to sign Antonio Brown until I saw Marquise Brown's <laughs> tweet today and I was like, oh yeah. I don't want Antonio Brown. Yeah. Tom Brady and the Bucks can stick with that. Um but yeah, someone's got to get a hold of Marlon Brown and remind him, you get open, you'll get the ball.
0: Yeah, that's what it comes down to.
1: So um I'm not too worried about the Ravens. They'll play who they play. If they they lose to the Colts next week, I'll be concerned.
0: Yeah, until until they lose to a team that they absolutely should beat. And now I I will say, looking at the the game today, the Ravens lost the turnover battle and they lost the uh, penalty yardage battle. I don't think that was a very well-officiated game. I think there were some calls that could have gone the other way. Um, I'm not going to blame the refs for the loss because that's certainly not the case. You can't turn the ball over four times against the Pittsburgh Steelers and expect to win the game. But no. I think that the Ravens showed today that they are a more well-rounded team than the Pittsburgh Steelers are. That's just my, yes. That's just what, what I so, gleaned from that performance today.
1: This is a weird game. There were some plays I didn't like. I didn't like – I thought there should have been a flag for helmet-to-helmet helmet or something at the end of the game. Yeah. Because uh, the defender clearly hit Snead helmet-to-helmet before the ball got to him. But I understand the refs not throwing a flag because they don't want to be accused of influence in the game. Right. Which is weird because they're influenced in the game on every play. They're supposed to. Right. But they don't want that. Um, And I don't think there was a Peters play early in the game where I don't think it was really pass interference. But then Peters got the fumble and everything after that. So it all balances out. I'm sure Steeler fans didn't agree on some of the plays either.
0: Yeah. And I understand that. I mean, there was that call against Marlon Humphrey near the end of the game that CBS didn't even show a replay of because I don't think there was any contact, but that extended a Steelers drive. And yeah, I mean, the last play of the game, I would understand if it was a, a Hail Mary pass and it was a big scrum. Yeah. You don't throw a flag in that situation.
1: Right, but, but that wasn't that big of a pass.
0: Exactly. And it, yeah. it kind of and I don't think it was pass interference. Yeah, he might have hit Snead's arm a little bit early, but it kind of looked like the Malcolm Butler interception against the Seahawks in the Super Bowl where they're both kind of going for the ball. They both have a right to go for the ball. So I don't think it's pass interference, but I think you've got to call the helmet-to-helmet hit there. I, I...
1: Yes, I agree. I also don't understand why they didn't add time onto our clock for the injured Steeler. Yeah,
0: I was, I was just um, about to say that. I think there should have been at but, least seven or eight seconds put back on.
1: Right, which would have given us one more play. But I also don't understand why Lamar is throwing the ball in that situation yeah. at that two. Why is he trying to get it there when Boykin's deeper back wide open Right. in the end zone? Why are you trying to force that with two guys there? And that's some of the stuff where I trust Lamar. He'll learn. And he'll get better. Um, the game was just a weird game with the weather. And the wet ball was clearly a situation where it was popping out. Yep. And Lamar was not able to do those one-handed moves that he has been used to doing. And Judon getting ejected. Clearly, he didn't hit that ref on purpose. But I understand the call that you got to do that. Yeah. And then uh, Ronnie Stanley is now out for the year. And that's the big thing that I think is going to hurt, except for the fact that our offensive line did perfectly fine without him, which surprised me.
0: Yeah, they did okay. I mean, they shifted uh, Orlando Brown over to left tackle and, and plugged in DJ Fluker, who I think he's, he's been an all-pro in the past, hasn't he? Yeah, but not
1: that he has not looked good this year though right. for the Ravens until today. Yeah,
0: he, yeah, he, he did fine today. And if, if that can carry over and he can continue doing that, I mean, we know Brown is capable on either side of the line. He's a, a big physical presence, just like his dad was. And if Luker can be at least serviceable, you know, Tyree Phillips has to be a little bit better. But other than that, I mean, who came at Patrick McCarry came in after Phillips got hurt and he was fine too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, for a team where a lot of the question marks have been with the offensive line and especially the interior offensive line, that wasn't the issue today. It was, it was the turnovers. It was the penalties. It was straying from the game plan and I think Lamar's decision-making was a big part of it, too.
1: Yeah, and I think we have about a week left on the trade deadline. Maybe a little I less.
0: Think so. I think it's this week,
1: yeah. All right, maybe it's just a few days. But it'll be interesting to see if the Ravens try to do anything, whether it's bringing a wide receiver, which I'm sure uh, Marquise Brown will like, <laughs> or, or try to do something to secure that offensive line.
0: Hey, maybe Marquise Brown will get the ball a little bit more if he's the number two instead of the number one. <laughs> Who knows? Again... Get open, and I'll get you the ball. That's all Lamar has to say. Yeah, get the other team's number one corner off your back, and 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 now then we can talk a little bit.
1: Yep. All right, well, I think that covers it for sports in Baltimore this week. Um, the Orioles probably will not do anything this week. The Ravens will be getting ready for the Colts next week. All right, Ryan, give that fan a podcast. Episode one, you had Paul. Episode two is all about you. Episode three, you had Olivia. What's coming up on episode four?
0: Episode four, uh, I'm going to get a little bit of heat from Orioles fans for this, but uh, I, I've already completed this interview. It's a really good one. I've got Jason LaConfora on the show for episode four. And Orioles fans don't really like this all right, guy. All right, Hold on, hold on. <laughs> See, I told Hold you. on. I don't like Jason LaConfora.
1: <laughs> so let's forget about Orioles fans. Let's just talk about me for a moment. Let's do it. Because um, we've talked many times about Lock and Fora on here, and I didn't know that's your next guest. Did you talk to and Fora about... The fact that people hate him in Baltimore. Yes, I did. Okay, good. It was
0: a lot of fun. He Honestly, he doesn't care.
1: I I know he doesn't care. He's got a radio show in Baltimore that he makes a bunch of money on and all. I'm sure he doesn't care. Um, Does he understand why we hate him?
0: Yes. He understands it, but he also... I shouldn't say he wants us to understand, because like I said, he doesn't care. But from talking to him, I understand his reasoning behind bouncing back and forth a little bit. And it's a tough pill to swallow as an Orioles fan saying, well, he used to root for the Red Sox. I get it. But I think it was a good interview. I think we answered some good questions in there. I did mention, I, I talked to him a little bit about switching allegiances and what that's like. So uh, it's a fun chat and I'm excited to put it out there. But yeah, locking four for episode four. Got a couple uh, right. Orioles fans that everybody knows coming up soon. And then uh, in December, I'm trying to do a little bit of a month where I do a uh, Prospects, former coaches. I've been talking to uh, Heston Kirstad's hitting coach from Arkansas, as well as Carter Ballmer's head coach from uh, from from high school. So uh, I'm going to have them on nice. the show, and, and I'm excited for for these next couple months of interviews, and hopefully I'll be able to help fill the off season.
1: All right, let's hope you get past episode ten.
0: Let's hope so. Is that
1: your record in the past? I think eight. So eight. All right. Back well, like eight to eight. All right. Well, I think you're gonna be. I think you'll be fine. There's plenty of stuff to talk about this off season. I know you're motivated, so everyone should go out and subscribe to give that fan a podcast.
0: I appreciate it. We just. I just got on Spotify yesterday. Same with uh, with Apple Music or iTunes, whatever, yep. whatever it's called now. Um, no, I,
1: I I saw that. I listened to you on Spotify uh, Thursday. Awesome. Well, if, if it's easier One for anybody
0: day. else, you can find me weekly on Utah Street Report.
1: All right, Utah Street Report as well. All right, Ryan, well, thank you for filling in uh, for Matt. And, guys, we will talk again. Uh, We'll be back. Matt should be back next week for 336. Thank you for listening to the Section 336 podcast. Please go to iTunes and Facebook for all complaints or the occasional compliment. If I were you, I would not take any baseball advice from these guys. Josh and Matt were raised by an Orioles-obsessed father, and Bert, uh, well, Bert fell in love with Don Mattingly. He has a thing for mustaches.